Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me His masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Well, it is summertime, and so we have people on vacation, including every single sound person we have. So nobody is operating sound back there, so it was a little loud, sorry. But I think this, this video clip is, is a great summary for the series that we're in. Today we are wrapping up the series, Identity Theft. And we're looking at our identity, who we are, our, our wiring, and, and how we view ourselves. And in that identity, we have an enemy that comes in and tries to steal that. In the same way that we have people who try to steal our credit card numbers, or our bank account numbers, or our social security numbers, or a combination of all of those, we have an enemy that comes in and wants to steal, kill, and destroy that wants to bring us down so that we are not living fully the way God has designed us to live. And so we've been looking through this series at, at some of the common things that we, we see in problems with identity. The first week we talked about names and how powerful names are, the names that people give to us and the names that we give ourselves and the names that we, we repeat over and over that can bring us down, names that are not truly who we are. Broken, overweight, shy, successful, disappointment, unwanted. The names that we roll through our heads that give us a false identity. The enemy uses those names to come in and, and steal who we really are through the use of names. And then the second week, we talked about that great fall in the garden, where God creates this perfect environment and creates, creates Adam and Eve, and it is very good, and they are made in his image, and they are made in, in, in perfect relationship with God. But a decision is made to, to become God themselves, 
that they did not want to do what God had called them to do, but they wanted to do what they thought was best. And so in the place of, of trusting God and his authority, they trusted themselves and they ate of that fruit and, and things changed. There was a brokenness in the relationship between God and man. A brokenness that we continue to suffer from today. The consequences are still very much alive today. And the enemy who whispers in Eve's ear in the very beginning is the same enemy that whispers in our ear today. One that is very cleverly disguised with lies. And so last week we talked about some of those lies that the enemy uses. We talked about four lies. The one that I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. This is the performance trap, right? Where, where what I do and how successful I am or am not is how good I feel about myself. That when things are going well and I'm successful and my bank account is at a certain, a certain place and, and I get the certain advances in career or the certain promotions or the certain degrees, then I can feel good about who I am. I am somebody because I have these credentials. And the second one is I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. Similar to the first one, this one is about my relationship with others. I want people, certain people, to think very highly of me. And when that approval is not there, then I'm broken and I don't feel good about myself. And the third one is those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. This is the one where even if it's myself, if I'm the one who messes up, then punishment has to be had. There has to be punishment for things that are done wrong. And finally, I am what I am. I cannot change. I am hopeless. And this is the one of shame where it is what it is. I'll always be this way. It'll never get any better. There's never any hope for change. And so the enemy uses these lies to come in and steal our identity. And each week we have talked about how a new identity is given to us through Christ. That if we take on what Scripture tells us, if we will take that on as truth, if we will bury that into our hearts and really believe that, really, really believe that, then we will discover our true identity. That we have a true identity that is described to us in Scripture as reflected through Jesus. And so if we look to Jesus for our identity, we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we bear Christ's righteousness because of the work on the cross. We are forgiven that, that regardless of how much we mess up, Jesus is there and he forgives us. And through this forgiveness, we are brought back into an intimate relationship with God. That what was broken at the garden is now restored, and now we're brought back into this relationship because Jesus brings us there. And Jesus' death on a cross took all the punishment that we ever deserved. The wrath of God is placed onto Jesus, and we do not receive the punishment that we deserve because Jesus takes that on through the cross. And through all of that, we are restored, and we are regenerated, and we are made into a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come because of the work of Jesus. 
And so today we're going to spend a little bit more time looking at Jesus and the identity that is restored in us through him, that once what was lost can be found again, that stolen identity can be fixed, the credit score can be improved, you can get back to where you need to be because of Jesus. And we know that if, if, if you've journeyed through a relationship with God for very long, if you've been in church for very long, these are answers that we probably know. These are verses that we know. This, these are things that we know. But yet, we don't always live that way. Why do we, why do we fail so often? Why do we wrestle with our identity? Why do we struggle with who we are? Why do we still try to impress people? Why do we still try to depend on our successes for who we are? If we know the answers, why has it not gone from our heads and into our hearts? As believers, we should live with, with great freedom, knowing that Jesus is who he says he is. And the gift of Jesus should answer all of those, and we should live in great freedom, but so many of us still continue to live in some level of bondage that we still don't clearly see who Jesus is. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us this, par this parable of, of the sower and the seeds. And he, he throws out the seeds into the, into the different places, and there's four different soils that the seed lands in. It lands in rocky soil and good soil on the road and one that's shallow. And so the words of Jesus go to all these different places. But one of four things can happen. You can have Satan that snatches it up or persecution that comes in and, and tears it down. Or the worries of the world get in the way of us really seeing who Jesus is. The world around us is a much louder voice. The whispering serpent in our ear is all that we can hear. And it's so loud. So we have the word that is given to us, but we don't always receive it. We don't always accept it. But when we are in Christ, we're given everything that we need for life and godliness. We are given everything that we need. Second Peter tells us his divine power has given us everything that we need, everything that we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're given everything that we need, yet we still wrestle with it and we still struggle with it. And it can become discouraging. But when we submit to Jesus and when we submit and allow him to reign over our lives. We've been looking at Jesus for the last year through the Gospel of Mark, through our Advent series. We've looked at who Jesus is. We've looked at the Sermon on the Mount and what he teaches. If we will submit to him and allow him to reign in our lives and allow him to reign in every part of our lives, then he will transform us. Then, then we will be changed and we have everything through him that we need. Our values, our attitudes, our behaviors are all transformed through the power of Jesus if we will let him, if we will submit to him, if we will open ourselves to his will and conform to his will. And we will begin to glorify him more and more.
And so in order for us to overcome the lies of Satan, we have to, and, and begin to enjoy the freedom that we have, we have to counter these false beliefs. We have to counter these lies, the things that the enemy has come in and whispered to us. We have to combat those and fight against those. And Jesus does that through the death on the cross, that we have everything that we need through him. And the more fully we can understand the cross, the more fully we can understand who Jesus is and what he came to do, the more fully we can be transformed into his likeness. The more that we can understand what the cross is and what it means, the more those lies will fall to deaf ears because we don't hear them anymore. We will see the lies for what they really are. We will see the deception for what it is, and we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Knowing the truth is all the freedom that we need. But we have to get that from our head to our hearts to really understand who Jesus is. And this is the lifelong pursuit that we have as believers, to continue to discover and to continue to grow in our knowledge of what the cross means. And not just from the head, but to the heart. Jesus gives us everything that we need for a life of goodness, a life of godliness. But how do we do that? John chapter 14 gives us a great vision for what is next after Jesus. And Jesus tells us this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so how do we do this? Well, Jesus sends us help. He sends us an advocate, a counselor, a helper, someone who will, will convict us, someone who will educate us, someone who will open our eyes to the truth, someone who is there to help us through this difficult world that we live in. And that's the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit is given to us and indwells in us so that we can pursue godliness. That it is through the power of the Spirit that we're able to do this. It is not through the power of me. It is not through the power that I have. It is not through my own self-discipline. It is not through my actions. It is not through my behavior. It is not through what I can get into my head. It is through the Spirit that the Holy Spirit will come and rest in me and will provide everything that I need to be able to know God and grow in my relationship with God. The same Holy Spirit indwells all believers today and serves as our instructor, serves as our counselor, serves as a source of spiritual power. There's power there as we live for Christ's glory and honor. That same Spirit provides power then, provides power for us today. And later in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us why the Spirit is here. 
what the Spirit's purpose is. He says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Some of these sentences are just so weird. You have to go through this like, we will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Dissect that a little bit. His purpose, the Spirit's purpose is what? Glorify Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Why? Because Jesus gives the Spirit everything that he needs to know and what we need to know. That Jesus gives the Spirit everything that we need. So even though Jesus is not standing in our presence like he was with the disciples that we read in the Gospels, he's not here physically telling us what to do. He gives us a Spirit with all the knowledge, with all the know-how, with all the experience, with everything that is needed for godliness and goodness. And he gives us that Spirit and transfers that to us. That we have Jesus here with us because we have the Spirit here with us. We gain a better vision for our true identity and understand who we are and and who we are in Christ when we apply the love and forgiveness of Jesus to our ongoing daily lives. And the Spirit helps us to see that, helps us to see the love and forgiveness of Jesus. We have to grow to accept and reflect on the unconditional love and the unconditional acceptance that we have through Jesus, through his awesome power, and, and we respond to those situations. We respond to him and respond to others in light of that. But there's several things that get in the way. If it was this easy, we'd all not need to be here doing this. We would just be living life the way we're supposed to be living. But there are obstacles to this. The first obstacle is wrong motivations. We, we come at a relationship with God. We come at getting rid of the lies and, and, and getting rid of the yuck in our life with the wrong motives. We come at it with a motive of looking good for others. I want to make sure that I'm living right in your eyes. Or maybe it comes from guilt. Or maybe we have just this obsession with self-improvement. Do you know how big the self-improvement section is at the bookstore? It's like we are obsessed with making ourselves better. And for what purpose? Is it because of the purpose of Jesus on the cross, or is there some other purpose? I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want others to, to see me and look better. We, go, we approach self-improvement, and we, we approach these things with the wrong motives. We pursue looking good and impressing others instead of pursuing Christ. A second one is our approach to the Christian life is often very mechanical. Now, in the restoration heritage that we belong to, this is a big, a big problem for us. That we approach our faith and we approach our relationship with God in a very mechanical way. That if we can follow these things and go to this service and this class and read this book and and have the, the Greek understanding of this, then I will be in right relationship with Christ. And we pursue knowledge 
and we pursue the mechanics. We pursue church instead of Christ. That we are more in love with the church, and we are more in love with our heritage, and we are more in love with our history and our scholarship than we are with Jesus. And then the third obstacle is the exact opposite. We typically don't struggle with this one here. We are too mystical. And so there are, are streams of Christian faith that, that everything is about the mysticism of it. It's the feelings that I have. It's, it's the impressions that I get from the Spirit. I feel this way. And, in, and we are pursuing a mystical experience. We are pursuing the emotional side of it. And instead of pursuing Jesus, we are pursuing an emotional feeling. A fourth obstacle is just a lack of knowledge about Christ's love and power. A lack of knowledge of Christ's love and power. And I think this is something that our heritage struggles with as well. That, that growing up, for me, in our heritage, we did not talk about the grace of Jesus. We talked about the practices of the church. And I'm, and I'm so blessed and grateful that that's not where we are at here now. But I think for many of us, we grew up in a way, and it's deeply rooted in us, even though, even though with our head we know it not to be true, it is so deeply rooted in us because of our heritage that, that church is about the mechanics. Church is about the practices. Church is about what we do. And we, we lack a real knowledge, a real understanding of who Jesus is and what the cross means. And then the fifth thing that really will get in the way of us understanding who Jesus is is harboring sin. That we have a sin that we won't let go of. We have something that is blocking our relationship with God. Because we have a, a willful sin that clouds our fellowship with him. And so those five things really get in the way of us really understanding who Jesus is. That we have to know who Jesus is to be able to really understand who we are. Our true identity will only come in knowing who Jesus is. But we have so many things that get in the way. Our motives are less than pure. We get too mechanical or too mystical with, with how we pursue spirituality. We just lack the knowledge or we're unwilling to really give up that sin that is separating us from the Father. And so last week I had used a lot from um, the book, Search, um, The Search for Significance. And in, in the concluding chapters of those books, or of that book, he, he gives us kind of an example of, okay, how do we approach this? So we know that our identity is stolen. We know that we are believing false things. At some level, all of us are struggling with that. That our identity is stolen in some way. And we want this new identity that's found in Christ. How do we do that? How do we bring that in and, and reconcile those two things? Well, here's a few steps that he gives us in his book. The first is ag agree with God that we have been deceived. 
You have to acknowledge it, right? Living in denial is not going to accomplish anything. You have to agree with God and say, I have been deceived. I have listened to the enemy in this area of my life. I've listened to the enemy with, with my career. I've listened to the enemy with my relationships. I've listened to the enemy with my education, with my parenting, with my relationship with my parents. I've listened to the lies. And so acknowledge that. Accept that. Acknowledge that before God. And then agree with God to repent of that. That the ways that I've been thinking, the ways I have been believing this lie are no good. That I need to repent for believing these. And then ask God to reveal to you how destructive this lie has been. Because I think oftentimes we, we, we listen to these lies and we don't really believe that they're all that bad. That's part of the deceit. That's part of the lie. That is really not that big of a deal. And so once you have identified an area where you have allowed the enemy to speak lies to you, then ask God to reveal to you how destructive has it been. Because until we can really see the destructiveness of these lies, it's going to be hard for us to really break out of those lies. Because if it's really not that big of a deal, it's not that uncomfortable, we can just kind of keep going on with it. And so how destructive is it? How has it affected your relationships? How has it affected your walk with God? How has it affected your faith? How has it affected every area of your life? And then we have to choose to reject that lie. We have to identify that lie. We have to repent of that lie. We have to know the destructive nature of that lie, and then we have to reject that lie. We have to be willing to let the truth of God come in, the truth of God to disclose the things that are lies in our lives. We have to repent of those things, and then we have to reject those and walk in truth. And so I hope that through the course of this series, the last, this is our fourth week now, as we wrap up this series, that, that something has been put on your heart, that the Spirit is convicting you of something that is a lie, something that's about your identity that is in there that you've been believing, that you've been listening to. I want you to identify that. I want you to confess that to God. I want you to repent of that. I want you to see the destructiveness of that and then reject that lie. I want us to conclude with um, an extended reading from Romans chapter 8. And I don't have it up on the screen because it was like 45 thousand slides because um, I want I, I want I want this to be an experience where you can listen listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8 and as you listen to these words I want you to think of these three questions um, or statements what's that last slide up there that one there good two questions in a statement what does Paul say about your identity in Christ as I read through this, what is he saying about your identity? 
And then reflect on the names that you've been given. What are the names? What are the deceits? What are the lies that you have been believing? And then what are the new names? What are the new names that God gives you through Christ? Listen as I read. Therefore, therefore, because of everything that he's been saying in Romans, because of our new life in Jesus, because of our relationship with him, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him... We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Skip down to verse 31. 
What then shall I say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's be standing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what lies you have heard, no matter what lies you have believed, no, what, no matter what lies you have told of over yourself or told over your children or loved ones, none of that will separate you from the love of God. That his love comes in over all of that. Regardless of how broken, regardless of how rejected, Regardless of how distant, how complicated, how difficult, how painful, none of that will separate you from the love of God. And we gather every week to remind ourselves of that, to remind each other of that, that through the cross of Jesus, we know who we really are. Our identity is restored. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And we will have shepherds down front and in the back. You can pray with one another. You can pray with one of us down front. You can just stay where you're at and pray. And I want us to go, if you can go back to that last slide with the questions on it. And through this prayer time, be thinking about those things. What, what are the lies that you have heard and lies that you have believed and what is the new name that you have through Christ? Let's pray together. God, our identity is restored through your Son on the cross. And God, I pray that you will help us to discover that at the very core of who we are, that in our heart of hearts, we will know that we are loved fully by you. That nothing gets in the way. Nothing separates us, that you love us no matter what. And God, allow our identities to flow out of that love as we know who we are 
in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.